Well, if you have your outline, you might want to turn it out. It's in your bulletin. You might also want to take a Bible. There's one that you brought with you, or if there's not, there should be under one of the chairs near you, near you a Bible that you can reach out to. We're in a little book called Galatians, and Galatians is really, if you want to put the G's wild this morning, it's all about the gospel of grace. Or to put it another way, this message that God has for us is to set us free, uh, set us free to be free. And yet sometimes uh, as people begin the journey or later on the journey, they, they feel overwhelmed by what they, uh, they, they perceive as a Christian life or what other people have perceived as a Christian life. And, and they're feeling overwhelmed to the point that they really want to give it up. They, they don't want to follow. They don't want to. They don't want to follow Jesus Christ. They, they want to try something else. And this morning, what I want to talk about, in fact, if you look at the, the outline title, I, I gave uh, our worship team a, a couple different titles. Uh, I, I ended up choosing this one, but the title I've, I put in your, in your message notes is, Most Christians Are Foolish. So if, if someone asks you what you did today, and you say, oh, I went to church, or what did you hear at church? Well, well the, the pastor called me a fool. Uh, you know, that might be the, the message that, that you could remember to people or tell the people. Is, and you're thinking about that, and I say, am I overstating this? And the answer to that really is yes. I am overstating that most Christians are fools or foolish. And yet in the passage we're going to look at today, that's exactly what he called the Christians in the churches, plural, because it was a number of churches in Galatia that he was speaking to. And he really called them foolish. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ has publicly portrayed as crucified. Well, that's pretty harsh words to, to, to write, and you're not even seeing their, them face to face at that moment you're writing. Normally, I would suggest to you, if you're going to criticize someone, do it face to face. You know, don't do it in text, don't do it in email, don't throw it through some other's words of telling them what you've just said about them. You speak to them directly particularly if it's negative. Now, it's positive. You can use every way, form, shape you can because everyone likes to hear good news. But if you're, if you're sharing some bad news, you better be there to qualify, explain, and really deal with the issue that you're bringing up in front of them. But Paul puts it in print. He puts it in print. You are being foolish. And I want to just be very clear, it wasn't just true of Christians in the first century. It, it is still true for Christians today. Anybody want to say amen? Yeah. The, let, let's be honest. And that was one of the responses I got back uh, as I was sharing with Dan that, that, uh, just yesterday. He said, well, the only reason I don't go to church is because there are Christians there. <laughs> there, there are people, you know, they, they don't exactly live it out. And I'm not really sure I need that hypocrisy in my life. And some of that might be overblown, but some of that is actually true. Well, some of you aren't holding back at all. You, you, really, you really got the message right. So sometimes we are the, the worst uh, message that people could hear by our lifestyle and how we act and respond. And so people are pushed away because who we are and how we live. But that being the case, we need to understand that, that the truth of Christianity is not dependent upon us as his representatives. It's dependent upon Jesus, isn't it? And that's why Paul hits them really strongly, because what they were doing, he realized that the church is the perfect place for what kind of people? Imperfect people. But the thing that we hinge everything on is that Jesus is the one who is perfect. Jesus is the one that has the message that changes people's lives. And when we mess with the message, it messes our lives up to the degree that people can't really see what true Christianity is all about. Now, we have some... 
mainline people that just recently have departed from the faith. And whether you're up on Christian news or not, that's, you know, that's just depends upon which uh, places you run in or what uh, people you're around. But um, there was a pastor, and his name is Josh Harris, and he did this publicly, but he, uh, he left the ministry. And when he left the ministry, he, he not only left the ministry, but he describes that, well, I'm not really sure I can believe the things I used to teach. In fact, in every which way you might look at it, I, I do not consider myself to be a Christian. And not only did a pastor, and he was a pastor of a megachurch in the multiple, multiple thousands of people. And he's a, he was a best-selling, I guess you could say he's still a best-selling, I mean, he still is getting money from these books, a best-selling author that, that Christians would, would read and, and orient their life all about. And, and then not only that, there was another man um, that, just recently left the Christian world that had a pretty vocal or, or obvious uh, platform, and he was uh, uh, one of the main singers and, and songwriters for Hillsong, and we, we sing on some of their songs as well, and, and he's come to that place in his life, said, well, you know, I'm not really sure I can believe because some of those things in the Bible that people talk about, they kind of bother me, to put it, you know, trying to describe it, you know, things like hell, you know, I can't wrap my mind around hell. And I, and I can't wrap my mind around uh, maybe there's certain lifestyles that God doesn't approve of. And that doesn't seem to be uh, mesh with being caring, sensitive people. And, and so as we think about that, we have to realize that as we hear those messages from people that were vocal and Christians that everyone could hear and observe, uh, as we hear what they're saying, either what they're saying is true or it is what? False. And if it's if what they're saying is true, all of us who are still believing are what kind of people? We're, we're fools, right? We're just foolish. Foolish to believe those things we've heard maybe all of our life or just recently. And now all of a sudden we have these people who are big influencers or given a different message. And are, are we fools or are they fools? The, the Bible does not mince words. The Bible says in, I think, Psalm 46 that the fool has said in his heart, there is what? No God. Now, you can turn that around, and you could say this, that uh, those who are fools are people who believe there is a God. And, and not only that, you can fine-tune it, and you could say, well, I might believe in God. In fact, many people will say, I still believe in God. I just don't believe of the, the God in the Bible. And so it comes to that point where we've got to say, is this a book of truth, or is this leading people astray? Well, Apostle Paul was writing to Christians in that day, and what was happening is that they were, they were messing with this book. And you can mess with this book in one of two ways. You can mess with this book by adding to it or taking things away. You know, I'm a really profound thinker here. You know, that, that's really how you can mess it. You can either add to it or you can take away from it. Now, there's subtle ways to do that. You can misapply it and misunderstand it and all those kind of things as well. But basically, that's what you're doing. You're, you're taking things away or adding to it. And what he was saying to them is that's what they were doing. And because of that, he, he meant no words. He said, you are being foolish. Now, uh, before Galatians chapter 3 is Galatians chapter 2. You're still with me, all right? Chapter 2 comes before chapter 3. And there's a verse that one or two of you have been working on memorizing. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, and it says this. I do not nullify the grace of God, because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died, what? Needlessly. 
And, and so what they were saying here, and this is what leads into chapter 3, and that's why I you know, read or quoted that verse, is that what was happening, they were, they, they were taking what Jesus clearly is described as doing and taking the clear word to Jesus as well as uh, the writers in the New Testament say, well, you know, uh, you're not understanding it right, or they've left some things out, or you're not getting it, because, yeah, Jesus is necessary, but it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus doing his work, and then now we've got to do all of our work to make sure we're saved or keep saved or doing a good job being saved. And so with that as a backdrop, Paul writes this, you foolish Galatians. Now, what I want to do today, and if you have your outline, I want to talk about what the Bible says about what it means to be foolish in terms of defining that, and then ask ourselves some basic questions that reworded a little bit from how Paul put it, and then just drive it home. Okay, then how then should we live out our faith and not be foolish in our faith? He calls them foolish. Well, what is, what is being foolish in the Bible? The Greek term carries the idea of a, of a wrong attitude of heart, a lack of faith that clouds judgment. And so a foolish person is not evaluating things right. They're, they're, they're not making sound judgments. And it's really reflected in a, in a hard attitude. You know, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the uh, facts. And, and let's be honest. Sometimes we are foolish as followers of Jesus is that we look for anything or everything primarily to stir our emotions or our heart. And, and that is so important that God would stir our emotions. The heart really, in Scripture, really is the center of your being. But there's a place that our hearts and our, and our emotions ought to be stirred. But what God wants us to love Him with is not only our heart, but our, our mind. And when we are careless with our, with our minds, then we're not going to follow Him faithfully. You can put it another way. It, it does not connote mental deficiency, but mental laziness and carelessness. Now, we often say that to people. It could be in an athletic event, or it could be uh, you're trying to teach them how to do a math problem, or you're, you're trying to teach a new skill, and, and somehow they're not getting it. And you say, you, you, need to be, you need to be thinking about what I'm telling you. you. You need to put your mind in gear. You need to really reflect about what I'm saying. Are, are, are you paying attention, right? Because all of a sudden, you're speaking, but what often happens to me on Sunday, I'm speaking, but you're not what? Well, you didn't wait too long on that one either, right? <laughs> Is that, you know, if someone's not listening, and we're not just simply saying hearing words, but, you know, really trying to reflect, interact, and try to get what someone is saying, then you're wasting your time. And, and what are you saying here? You're being foolish because you're not thinking about what people are saying to you. Now, there are all kinds of voices out there. Have you, have you figured that out? And it could be in the political arena. It could be in any, any area of, of life. And, and if you want to get different views, all you have to do is listen to a few people, and you'll get all kinds of different views. And that was happening there. They were teaching them spiritual truth, but they were listening to the wrong people. And sometimes you can't, you can't get away from people who are speaking to you, but when they're speaking, you need to be thinking about what they're saying. And he's saying, you are being foolish. You're not using your mind. It's not that you don't have intelligence. It's not that somehow that you're not smart enough. That has nothing to do about discerning spiritual truth. The issue is, are you thinking clearly about what people are saying? Are you using your mind? It's an interesting word, actually, in the original language. The, the word for, I mean, it doesn't relate to any word in our language, but the word for mind is nous in the Greek, and it has an alpha, 
uh, you know, pre, pre, well, an alpha, an A before the news. I forget the technical word for that. I can't even say it. So anyway, so we all forget it. But it's like, have you heard about a, a theist? A theist is a person who believes in God. A person who doesn't believe in God is a what? Atheist. It's the A before the theist. And what he is saying here, a fool is a person who does not use their mind. Their mind's there, but for that moment, they're exiting it out. They're not engaging it. And when we do that, we are foolish. And what is so critical in living out the Christian life for your own sake and for the sake of others is that you engage in and really living out what God has said about what it means to know Jesus, that's the first step, and then to follow him. Just in case uh, you like other translations, uh, the Phillips translation says this. However, uh, uh, he says, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. He didn't mince words there, did he? And so uh, as we think about it, we, we don't, and this is all true. I, I put this in your outline. We don't have to be stupid or idiotic to act stupid. Would you agree with that? There are a lot of smart people who do a lot of stupid things. When I was in England uh, visiting my brother in another life, I don't remember how many years ago. That was probably over, over, way over 20 years ago. In the, um, I'm going to have to watch my time. I'll never get to my message. All right. What's the, what's the train that goes underneath? What's, what do you call that? The, the subway. My mind's somewhere else. All right, anyway, the subway. The, the, there, was, there were these big signs. I'll never forget it unless I forget it right now. It says this. It says that you don't have to be mentally ill to suffer from mental illness. It took me a whole week to figure that one out. You don't have to be mentally ill to suffer from mental illness. Now, really, just saying the same thing here. You don't, you don't have to be stupid to do stupid things. You, you don't have to be less intelligent than someone else to do things that are totally foolish. I don't know if I said that right, but anyway, you get the point. Sometimes we act like we don't have a mind even though we do have a mind. And what we need to understand, when, when God gives us a new nature, he gives us a new mind. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we can have the mind of Christ. And so he wants to, he, he's appealing to them to use their mind and understand what the Christian life is all about. So let, let's, let's look at it. And, and here are the three questions I'm going to ask of us. And they're did you, are you, and can you questions. All right, let's look at it. First of all, a did you question. Did you get the Spirit of God? Did you get the Spirit, which is God's presence, justification, which means being declared righteous, or another way to say it, did you get salvation by earning it or receiving it? Now, for many of you are saying, these are, these are so easy questions. Well, why, why do you even have to ask them? Because they were falling back to not believing what, what they had first heard and learned. This is what he says. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Remember that? How many ever watched Bewitched? That little program, okay? She would twinkle her nose and all kinds of things would happen, right? And, and what he's saying here, you, you, you've been hearing truth, but there, there are people who are taking things and they're, they're turning it around, they're changing it, they're, they're making it sound more attractive, they are appealing to your emotions or flattering you or maybe scaring you and enticing you to believe something that's not true. And so he asked, well, who has done this to you? And he said, what is so amazing about this is that you had experienced what is the essence of the gospel. Those who are bewitching you are bewitching people whose eyes 
have seen Jesus Christ publicly betrayed as crucified. That's kind of a strange term here. And I was like, well, what in the world is he saying here? He you understood the gospel initially so well, though, though you weren't even there physically present, because these are Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. It was, you understood so well that, that the Savior of the world was put on a cross and died in your place. You, you could visualize this through the words of, of the preachers who came to you, for the people who told you about Jesus. It was so clear to you. This is about a singular individual who was God in the flesh, who was sinless and perfect, and took all the sins of the world and was put on a cross to die in your place and to fully and completely pay the penalty for your sins. You, you experienced that so much that it was portrayed in your heart and mind. How did you move from that? And then he says this. He says in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And some of the things that we need to realize is that we always need to go back to the essence and the simplicity and the clear message of what the Bible has to say. It's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul told the church in Corinth. So that's the only thing I want to know you about. That's the only thing I want you to remember. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And can you earn that? By works, or, or did you receive it? And it began to be very obvious. Well, well, we received it. There wasn't anything we did that would made us good enough to get it. We just had to receive it. You know, in John chapter 3, that's only a great passage. You look at that. Remember that was the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night because he was kind of afraid what other people think and feel. And we never think that way, right? We're never afraid of what other people you know, are thinking. But they, he, he came to Jesus and he said, well, I know you're from God. And all of a sudden, Jesus just throws it out. Well, you've got to be born again. He goes, born again? I, that, that's ridiculous. I, I can't crawl into my mother's womb again. And, and let me just ask you, did any of you here work your way into physical birth? Was there anything you did to actually physically exist right now? I don't think anybody would answer that in the affirmative. It just, it just happened when mother and father, uh, the two people got together and a, a child was born. It was nothing that we did. And he said, I want you to understand, that's what the spiritual birth is all about. It's not something you do. It's only something God does. And so this whole idea, which is so simple and straightforward, people get away from because they feel there's something they have to do to get right with God. And every other world religion has that same message. Yeah, believe in whatever description I have of God, but then you've got to earn it. And he's saying so clearly, is that how you, is that how you receive Jesus? And when he was talking to Nicodemus, is that how you got born? Physically, something you did? And so we really need to get that point. What, is it, it, does it come through the works of your own life, or is it it's something that you receive by God's goodness for you? So that's the first did you question. And then he goes on, and he asks, his, asks an are you question. Are you so foolish, or as Phillips would say, are you so idiotic, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So stop there for a moment. Are you growing your faith in honoring God? Sanctification, that's a big fancy word to say. Justification is when you come to know Jesus. 
That which is unrighteous becomes righteous because of what Jesus does. And now sanctification is, as we are messed up people, that's how God cleans out some of that mess, how we become more like Jesus. Now, do you do that by what you're doing, or is it, is it that which is done by the Spirit? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, the Bible says pretty plain, and we're going to get to this later on in the book of Galatians, that uh, the, if you want to carry out the desires of the flesh, then live according to the flesh. But if you want to carry out the fruit of the Spirit, you need to walk by the Spirit. And so the only way that we progress in the Christian life is when we surrender and depend upon the Spirit of God working in us. And so he, he's just hammering this. Look at, you, you're forgetting how you got to first base, and now you're forgetting how you get all the way around the bases. You receive God by faith, and the Spirit was given to you, and now you continue to live for God by the Spirit who you receive. It doesn't mean we don't have energy and effort involved in living that out, but we do it by the power of the Spirit working in our lives. So there's a did you question, an are you question, and then a can you question. Can you better explain your life by what the Spirit of God is doing in, through, and for you, or by your own accomplishments? In Galatians 3, verse 4 and 5, he says this, Did did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's kind of first century complicated language, but he's saying, look look at your life. Has anything miraculous happened to you? And and for many people, depending upon their testimony, as as Monty was sharing with the men on Saturday, he says, my my testimony is boring. How many many here who who know Jesus think your testimony is boring? Just go ahead and raise your hand, okay? A number of you have raised your hand. Look, there is no boring testimony, all right? Because no matter where we came from before we came to know Jesus, we once were lost and now are found. And whether it is some simple things God has done in our lives in terms of what the people would observe, we have been transferred, as the Bible says, from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. We who at some point in our life would be fearful about our future, what's going to happen when I die, that fear is taken away because God gives us assurance of what he's going to give us. Those of us at times wonder where God is, and we experience his peace in the midst of the storm. And as Monty went on, he said, my, my testimony is boring. For, I don't know, 50 minutes, he had everybody spellbound as he told a story. It was boring to him, but as he told how God sustained him through so much. And, and that's the other thing. Sometimes why people leave the faith is they expect from God that which he's not promised. He hasn't promised that you're going to go through a life and nothing, nothing bad is going to happen to you. Or, which is more difficult often, and not maybe to you, but to your loved ones. You're not going to struggle with all the challenges and hurts of life. And, and I might not immediately change. In fact, I might not change anything. I'll just give you the, the power to endure it. And so 50, for 50 minutes, and I'm amazed that Monty had never shared a story before, but he just talked about God's faithfulness. And, old, and basically his point was God was there. God was there. 
He didn't do what we look for in the miraculous, changing the circumstance, but God was there allowing me to get through it. And this is what he was saying then. As you look back in your life, can you explain your life apart from God's Spirit doing something in your life? And if that is true, then that's a danger place because God makes us new people in Christ. And it might not be the dramatic, but, but we know God is within us because what he's been doing in us and through us and for us. It's the assurance of his presence in the midst of whatever we're going through. He, he magnifies the joys of life and he gives us the power to deal with the, the, the pains of life. And so that's what he was saying. Okay, let, let's just be, let's be straightforward here. First of all, I, you know, I asked you, you know, did you? Did, did you receive this relationship with God by your own efforts, or did, did God give us a gift? Well, there's obviously a gift. Well, are, are, you, uh, are you growing your faith because of how good you are, or is it what God is doing in your life? And, and then he suddenly said, well, let me, can you explain your life with God based on your own strengths and accomplishments, or is it something that God is doing through you? So he's hammering it. It's, it's a God thing. The Christian life is a God thing. And, and, and they were missing that. They were going back and, and trying to obey the external laws of the Old Testament, thinking that's, that's the key to the successful, happy Christian life. And he said, what you're doing is you're burning yourself down with things that will not work, has never worked. It points out our need for a Savior. He hammers that. But what does that mean for us practically now? And, and so I have a little section here, putting it into practice. There are very different windows to look at the Christian life. And, and, and one of the windows to look at the Christian life, what does the gospel mean to me now? I understand what the gospel means to me before I come to know Jesus. I, I was guilty because of my sin, and I had a, that separate me before God, and the gospel gives me the opportunity to get forgiveness from God. And you could put it this way, I have in your outline. We need to preach or apply the gospel to non-believers. John 10.10 gives that promise. Uh, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's talking about the evil one. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I want to get everything I can out of life. I, I want to get everything I can, I can get out of life. And that's what Jesus promised. I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to leave you quantity of life forever, eternal life, but I'll give you quality of life. I'll give you abundant life. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be awesome, but it's not going to be easy. And he promises that. And the gospel applied to a person who is outside of Christ is this is the life that, that God wants you to receive, what he can only give. And so people have to answer the question, why would you want to know God and what can you do? I would want to know God because I want to have life. I don't want to have life that's going to last forever, but I want to have life that has significance, importance, and value now. Well, how can I receive it? Well, what, what can I do? You can't do anything. You've got to humble yourself to the place where you see your need to receive it. And it's always humbling to realize I can't do it. Someone has to do it for me. And if we could do it for ourselves, then we could do it, but we can't. And that's God's grace to give us what we can't do on our own. But then you might ask yourself, well, okay, that's the gospel before I believe. Well, how about the gospel after I believe? And we can preach and apply it not only to others who already believe, but we can preach and apply it to ourselves as well. 
Because there really is only one way to live the life as well. And you need to ask yourself the question, why, why at any moment in my life am I strained from God and, and what can I do? Well, there's a lot of ways to approach it. One way is to apply the gospel to your life. Whenever I stray, and we could talk about Josh and the, the, the singer from Hillsong, at the point of their life right now, wherever they were or not were with Jesus in their past, at the point right now is they believe that someone or something else in life has a better offer than Jesus has to offer. Isn't that true? When Jesus, um, you know, Jesus could attract a crowd, would you agree with that? I mean, he could, I mean, the multitudes came to him. But if you're, if you're reading the New Testament pretty clearly, he could dispel a crowd pretty well as well. As, as well. In John chapter 6, uh, I believe it is, it, you know, he, he talked about, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to follow me. Anybody want to sign up for that? Okay. And, and really what he was saying, look, this is, this is a surrender. This is a commitment. And that group that just had a free lunch, they took off. He turned to his disciples, well, are you guys going to leave me too? I think it was Peter. He made a very profound statement. He said, where would we, where would we go? Who, 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 has a, who has a better deal? Who has a better plan than, than yours? Who's offering more than you're offering? It's awesome. It's not easy, but, but where would we go? And, and so what we're, when we preach the gospel to ourselves, whenever we're wrestling with doing something um, God wants us to do, but we don't want to do it, or put it the other way, when we're wrestling with not doing something we want to do, but we know God doesn't want us to do, and that's what the Bible calls, it's an S word, what is that word, um, sin? You know, when it's whatever it might be, and we're, we're just struggling with that at the moment, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves, and we have, to, we have to really believe what is true. We have to believe that, that God's way is always what? best. That what he offers, though it might not be easy, what he offers is always best. Why would I want to go God's way? Well, what other way is better than God's way? And and so when we preach that to ourselves, it's just like when we came to know Jesus. There came a place in our life where we said, look at why would I go any other way than the way that Jesus is willing to give me? And when I'm trying to live that out, why would I want to go my way? Because at that moment, I think I know better than God knows. Isn't that true? Well, I know, but right now, I think if I do my thing, you know, I'll just enjoy it a little bit better than doing God's thing. And how we do it once we come to that point is, God, I, right now, I, I don't think I can resist in my own strength. And he says, well, that's true. But just as Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me, bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But we say when you abide in me, then, then that supernatural strength just flows through you. And, and when we separate from him, that's when we're in trouble. And so we need to continue to preach that gospel. We always need Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in this earth suit, the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He sets me free. So we want to preach the gospel to ourselves. 
realize that his way is always better than our way. And when we abide in him, whether it's the things we should do or not doing, the things we shouldn't do, let's stop doing them. Why? Because why would I want to go down a way that's not the best? I want to go God's way. Now, Paul gets theological with them, and I'm just going to quickly go through. He, he's arguing with them. He's, he's trying to persuade them. He gives a persuasive positive reason and a persuasive negative reason, saying, look, at this, this is true. Why, this, use your mind. Don't be a foolish. Don't be anus. Uh, no mind. Use your mind. So he gives a, an Old Testament story. He goes, even so, in verse 6, Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Um, if I had left more time, I, I was going to sing the song, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. <laughs> Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. We could be dancing all throughout the sanctuary today, right? Okay. Now, if you haven't sung that song, uh, we'll have to do it in VBS next year, whatever it might be. But anyway, you know, we've heard that song, and it goes on and on and on, and goes on forever. But really, the, the, the truth of that song is, you're not a child of God unless you realize that, 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 at least from an earthly promise perspective, Abraham is your what? Is your father. Now, he's only the physical father of the Jewish nation, but... He's the spiritual father of everyone who comes to know Jesus because he, he's the one that said it in terms of, of how we come to know God in a personal way. Because as he goes on here, and I'll read the section and then make a simple observation. He goes, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith uh, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. And in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, the, the, everyone throughout history has always been saved the same way. We're saved by God's grace through our, what? Faith. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So look at, just look at your own story in, in dealing with those who are Jewish that were trying to make the Gentiles Jewish after they came to know Jesus. Look at, look at your own father, Father Abraham. I don't know if they started singing the song. But anyway, just remember Father Abraham. How did he get in? Was it something he did? Was he obeying the law? Or did he simply receive God's grace because he believed it by faith? And the back story of this, it's very simple. You know, the law didn't come, didn't even come to 400 years later. Actually, probably closer to 500 years. Abraham wasn't, he wasn't saved or living out the life by being obedient to the law. The law hadn't even been written, hadn't been codified. That came with Moses. Well, okay, but, but he was saved by circumcised, being circumcised. No, <laughs> the, the commandment to be circumcised wasn't fulfilled until probably 14 years later. If Abraham didn't do it by adding to God's grace, what makes you think you should? And then he goes on, this is kind of a negative reason, or at least used in a kind of a, a different type of perspective. Uh, real quick, look at verses 10 through 14. For as many as are the works of the law are under the, are under the curse. Now think about that. Okay, Abraham, from a positive perspective, he didn't get in by obeying an external list of rules and regulations. He did it by grace through faith. And there was a 
there was a place for the law in terms of governing their life, but that's not, that wasn't, had, didn't have anything to do with salvation and didn't have anything to do with his walk with God because it wasn't even given to him in detail. It wasn't the circumcision because it, he didn't get circumcised to 14 years later and he was declared as righteous. Now on a negative side, it says, for many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, under a curse. If you want to go back to the law, which really is a curse, that doesn't make any sense. For as written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. I believe it's James 2.10. It says, look, if you break one law, if you want to be under that standard, once you break one law, it's like you've broken what? All of them. Anybody want to approach God through their own ability and efforts and accomplishments and strengths? I mean, if you broke one law, if you don't listen to me on a Sunday, you've broken that law of hearing the word. Okay. <laughs> now that no one is justified by the law before God, it's evident for the righteous man to live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall, be, shall live by them. No one can do that other than Jesus. Christ redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Now, that's a different picture than we think. When Jesus on the cross, he not only, as the Bible talks about, became sin on our behalf, he became cursed for us. When we say that Jesus died for us, the, the word for in the original language has the idea he, he, he was there in place of or in behalf of. He took on the curse so that we didn't have to take the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what's the point this morning? The point is, we don't live God's way, we are foolish. We're acting like a fool. When we add to or take from what God has said plain in the Word, when we try to somehow live the Christian life by our own flesh, our own strengths, that we will fall so short. And then on the other side, if somehow, you know, we're not, probably as much as anything else, the, the sin of apathy is the one that we face as much as anything else. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite motivated today to, to live full bore for Jesus. I, I, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this whole Christian life. I'm, I want to see there's something better out there. And he said, why are you being so foolish? There is nothing out there. And God has created everything out there. And the things that we're seeing has been damaged because of the sin. Why would we go after that which will not satisfy, won't really have eternal purposes, won't make significant impact on people's lives simply because we think our way is better. Let's not be like many. I don't believe most Christians are foolish, but many Christians are. Because they, they listen to the voices of this world. And that's why Paul said, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed, be changed. Why? By the renewing of your mind. And the Spirit of God living His life in you, through you, and for you. Let's pray. Father, this is not the natural way to live. It's a supernatural way to live. 
And Father, when we don't, we, we somehow have not put our trust in the one who's done so much for us and continues to do so much for us. And Father, we have the, we have the greatest message ever given to a, a world far from you, and that is the message that, that Jesus has done it and done it all, and he paid for it all. And when we put our trust in him and, and, and then follow his leading in our lives, then our lives take on that which only you can give. And Father, I would pray for anyone here this morning that hasn't made that step. Might they just admit their need, put their belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and commit to follow him with all that's in their heart. And for us who have already made that initial commitment, might we keep on living for you in ways that please you by, by not doing it through our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit who lives within us. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.